0: Welcome to Unfuck Your Brain, the only podcast that teaches you how to use psychology, feminism, and coaching to rewire your brain and get what you want in life. And now here's your host, Harvard Law School grad, feminist rock star, and master coach, Kara Lowenthal. All right, my chickens. So this is a very meta episode (laughs) because... (laughs) Normally, you hear a conversation, and then you might hear a follow-up about the conversation. We're going to do that in the reverse order today. So I have with me my former student, now certified life coach in her own right, fabulous lawyer, Erica Royal. And we recorded a podcast to talk about using thought work in the context of racism to have that conversation. Erica is a black woman. I obviously am a white woman. And so we recorded the podcast, and then we both freaked out. And so as we were processing our freak out, we realized that talking through what our brains did afterwards would actually be so educational for you all. So we're going to tell you the story of what happened after we recorded before you actually hear the (laughs) conversation. So I do a fuller introduction of Erica, and she gives a fuller introduction of herself in the actual conversation in the main part of the podcast. But right now, we're just going to talk about what happened after we recorded it. So Erica, tell me what happened in your brain after we recorded it.
1: Okay. So we had this great conversation. We talked for like an hour and I thought, okay, that was great. It was great talking with you. We kind of explored things. And then the next morning I woke up and I thought, oh my God, you know, what if I got it wrong? What if I said something that people are going to take the wrong way? What if I if people feel like I made too light of the situation. So then I was immediately texting you like, hey, um, when you listen to that, if it sounds too simplistic, or, you know, could you just let me know, like, give me your feedback. And then you responded like, oh, (laughs) I too was thinking, (laughs) I hope we got it right. So I'm glad we're doing this because I think that people need to know this is exactly what happens,
0: you know, (laughs) From my side of it, I was like laughing at myself so much. I posted my mastermind Slack being like, did you guys know if you change your actions to change your circumstance, your thoughts and feelings don't change? Were you aware of that? I totally thought that was going to work this time, right? Because I, of course, like my students see me being vocal and they probably think like, oh, she feels great about it. And I'm like, no, of course I'm terrified. And so, which, you know, is neither here nor there. I don't think that emotion matters. But when I was thinking about how to teach about this, I had all the thoughts you would expect of like, some of which are totally legit and valid of like, who the fuck am I to tell people of color how they could use the tool to think about racism or whatever, right? And so, you know, this is actually a perfect example, I think, of what I call like the mixed motivations and not trying to have pure motivations. Like, I didn't ask you to do this conversation just from that, right? Of course, I was like, of course, Erica, as a black woman, is going to have a very different Life experience. And that means a different way of using the model and of thinking about racism in the context of thought work. And so I want to bring her wisdom and insight to my audience. And I also had the thought, (laughs) I'm scared to do it alone. It would be better if I did it with Erica. (laughs) Right. So, you know, it wasn't a either or, it was an and. And then of course, so we recorded it. And then I was like, well, now I'm sure I'll feel great. And then shockingly, I still had the same thought, right? Because you can't change your thought by changing your action. But what I think is so striking is like, and you had it too, right? It's like all the people thinking there's a right way to do it or that like the white people thinking like, well, if I were, you know, because I'm not a person of color, I don't know
1: what to do as if people of color are somehow don't have human brains, (laughs) don't have thoughts. Everybody is struggling. And one of the reasons I said yes, when you asked me, even though I immediately had all those thoughts of what if I do it wrong? What if people, you know, all of it. But one of the reasons I said yes is because I'm out here in the world telling people don't be afraid to get it wrong it's more important that you speak up and so for me to be saying that and then knowing that i have the same feelings and i have the same things holding me back i'm like let me also get out there and do it let me just put what i have to say out there and maybe it will help some people maybe it will resonate with some people maybe some people won't and that's also okay you know mm-hmm. i can only say what i know to be true i mean even while we were having the conversation i was you know feeling kind of nervous kind of you know the feelings And then when it was done, when we finished, I did feel like, okay, relief. And the next morning, all of that nervousness, all Mm -hmm. of that pit in my stomach, all of that was back. Like, no, 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 silly. You did it wrong. (laughs) You did it wrong. And everybody's going to find out. It is what it is. I mean, people I think who are really looking to do this work and really willing to go deep and spend time with it are going to realize that it's not about getting it right.
0: Right, that's just literally impossible, right? That's what's so fascinating. Like, I was thinking about this today. Like, I want to be so careful on how I see this because I'm not saying this in a like, poor me, there's no way to get it right. Someone will always be upset at white people for how they do it way. That's not what I mean at all, right? What I mean is, like, having spent 20, 30, how old am I? 25 years, let's say, <laughs> in social justice movements, in the feminist movement, particularly, which has its own inclusion problems for sure and its own intersectionality problems. But there's just no movement or group of people's monolithic. And that's what's so insidious about the self-doubt, I think, right? Right. Like, you're a black woman, and you're worried that you're talking about racism wrong. Correct. Right? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. People people are going to think you're doing it wrong, but it's a no-win, right? If you had shown up, and like, you just, because I know you, you tend to not present super emotionally, right? Like, that's just not your presentation, whatever the million factors are for that.
1: But if you had presented super emotionally, then you would have woken up worried that you were too emotional. Right. Exactly. (laughs) you can't win. And also, you know, I think that for me, like generation X black women who maybe don't feel terribly connected to the civil rights movement that came before us, but feel connected to just these incidents that keep popping up, right? So these things that keep happening and you'll have like a little time period where maybe it's not in the news and then it's back. I just feel like over time you kind of develop a very flat approach mm-hmm. to it where it's not that you don't feel it every time. It's just that you can't go there every time. You just can't. It's like self-care, self-preservation. So I think that was part of what I was worried about, that people would think, oh, she doesn't even care. Mm-hmm. You know, This is a person who doesn't even care. Listen to how cavalier she is. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I'm cavalier. I think that it is very helpful to have the thought that racism exists to the extent that it makes me you know, take steps to protect myself and my children. But I don't think it's terribly helpful to have the thought racism exists to the extent that it would keep me from pursuing my dreams and my career goals and things like that. So that's how I think the model works in this.
0: Thank you for recording this second installment that they will hear first of this conversation.
1: Yes, and I'm going to go and now do some thought work about this second part that we've done. (laughs) Because, you know. It turned into a whole meta
0: situation where we just have to keep releasing extra podcasts about our thoughts about the podcast. Yes, yes, I look forward to it. Yeah, we will spare the rest of you from that. We'll just keep that between ourselves. All right. Thank you, Cara. Thank you so much. Hello, my chickens. I have an amazing episode for you today. It's a special bonus episode. So, you know, I've been teaching a lot about how white people can use the model to uncover their own internalized racism. And I've actually heard from many women of color who are not black women that it's also been helpful for them. So that's not to say that you should only listen to that episode if you're white, but that's what I've been focusing on in those episodes. But today I wanted to talk, really delve even more into how we can use thought work to deal with experiences of oppression. And I have an amazing guest on to talk to me about that. And that is Erica Royal. She is a former student of mine, now a certified coach in her own right, and also a brilliant lawyer. And we are going to just talk about it all and dig into the hard questions. I wanted to give one kind of preface which is that you're going to hear us talk about the model. Many of you are familiar with the model either because you've come to one of my free webinars where I teach it or you're in the clutch, but just in case you don't know what I'm talking about, for the purposes of this conversation it's a very like deep tool that we can use in a lot of different ways, but for the purposes of this conversation, we're really focusing on basically how what well you think creates what you feel, and that drives the actions that you take, and then what kind of result do you end up getting in your life? So that's really what we're talking about, right? And I talk all the time on this podcast about how there's circumstances out in the world, and then our human brain is what gives them meaning, right, is what gives them their interpretation. A tree just exists, and then we think something about it, and then that creates a feeling, an action, and a result. So when we talk about the model, that's really what we're talking about, that kind of process of encountering a thing, having a thought about it, feeling a feeling, taking an action, and then creating some kind of result for yourself in your life from that action. The shorthand for all that is the model. So that's what we're going to be talking about. So you want to tell
1: us, I told them who you are basically, but tell us a little bit about about yourself. Okay. So thank you for the great introduction. Thank you for having me. And thank you very much, by the way, for All of the work and content that you've been putting out over the last week or so, it's been so spot on and so helpful and so, you know, just helpful to me. So thank you. I promise Um, I didn't pay her to say that. (laughs) Like you said, I'm one of your former students. I'm a lawyer. I've been a lawyer for 20 years and I came to you and to unfuck your brain because I was somebody who had a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress, a lot of, you know, all the things. And I've got three kids. I've been married for 17 years. Last time my husband said that I called myself a mother, not a wife, so I want to be clear. But I have found this work coaching to be so life changing. And so I really welcome the opportunity to talk to you about how people can use it in these times to deal with the things that we're dealing with now.
0: Yeah. So let's kind of start here because I obviously have not experienced racism personally. I will say when I came to learn this work, The dimensions that I felt oppressed on, like as a woman and as a fat person, when I heard my teacher say that (laughs) that distinguished between circumstances and thoughts, I had a lot of feelings about it. So I'm curious if sort of when you came to this work, I'm sure a lot of people have that kind of response or experience of like, hold up, what are you saying?
1: Yes. And I think that particularly when we're going through things like we're going through now, it's extra hard to think that racism is a thought right? Because racism, for a lot of Black women, myself included, it feels like reality. It feels like a circumstance. And as you go through life and you encounter it in your everyday life, and I do mean every day, it doesn't feel like a thought. But then through learning the model, learning coaching, you come to understand that it has to be a thought, right? It has to be something that somebody came up with in their own mind, Because it doesn't make sense otherwise. (laughs) And because there's no agreement on it, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm learning big time on social media (laughs) and elsewhere. (laughs) There's no agreement on it. So it must definitely be a thought. But knowing that it's a thought, I think where people get stuck is they think, well, then I'm just going to tell you, change your thoughts. That's not it. That's not the point. The point is not for you to think racism is a thought and that if you change your thought, racism will disappear. Mm -hmm. That's not it. You know, it's really just so you can understand, so it can take some of the power away. First mm-hmm. of all, if racism is a sentence in somebody's mind, how can that be ruining my life, right? How can that be something that's holding me back? So I think that when you think of it that way, it's really just about empowering you, you know, more than anything else.
0: Yeah, I think it's so important to talk about what we mean when we say racism is a thought, right? Because, yes. of course, that sounds to people like what you're saying or any ism, right? That what you're saying is like, oh, it's all made up. It doesn't exist. Right. Right? Which is, of course, not what we're saying at all. No. No. Right. No. I think when we talk about what thoughts are, it's like any idea that humans came up with. Right. It's like racism is a word that we use mm-hmm. to describe a set right. of thoughts or feelings or actions or results that other people are ourselves <laughs> are creating. Right. right in the right. world, and so it's like because it's a word in a human language, it is a thought. Right. right. But that doesn't mean, as you said, that it like isn't true or doesn't exist. Right. Exactly. And all of the measurable manifestations of it like i think of as facts right like or as circumstances right like Mm -hmm. we can have a study that shows that black men are disproportionately killed by the police compared to white men right in america like that's a fact so i love that you brought that up it's like so important because this is one of the things where people get turned around i think so i'm curious kind of how do you think about the real world impacts of models in other people's brains, right? It's like there's some thought going on in somebody else's brain that makes them feel and act a certain way, and then there's an impact of that. So I'm curious how you think about that.
1: So I think that what I meant when I said it's just a thought in somebody's brain and that can't hurt me, is that when you think of racism as this just big amorphous reality that's Mm -hmm. right outside the door, it seems very much like it could hurt me at any moment, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember you coaching me when the whole Parkland thing happened and I started to have these feelings that my children were in imminent danger because Parkland is about 20 miles up the road from me. Mm -hmm. And, and you said to me, your children are no greater danger today than they were yesterday right and i was like yes but like no i mean yeah i mean technically yes but and i just had all these like but i have a very very intense feeling that seems true so right right like i couldn't just accept that but then when i really sat with it for a while i was like okay like this is part of what we signed up for so if we're going to live in this world and try to do what we're going to do it can't be Mm -hmm. that every time i walk out the door this is going to happen so thinking this is a sentence in somebody's mind instead of this is this thing that's out there that's coming to get me. Mm -hmm. It helps me feel a little bit better. And then also it takes away some of the power of it, Mm -hmm. right? There are going to be bad cops, like the ones in Minneapolis, but the overwhelming majority of them, in my opinion, are not. I mean, I've been pulled over many times. I have a little bit of a lead foot. I've encountered the police. I've not ever had an, Experience that was particularly horrific. Mm-hmm. It was inconvenient and sometimes a little bit rude. <laughs> and I know that my husband and my brother have had horrific experiences mm. with the police, but not every time, right? Because it's not everyone, it's some people. You can't be in the world thinking that everyone is against you, that everything is against you because you're black. You can't do anything when you think that. So I have to believe that is a thought in some people's minds and not. Mm you know, reality.
0: Yeah, it's such an interesting point. It's sort of like when we think about, and it actually makes me think about when I'm doing a model with someone, right? It's like, I always want them to get specific about the circumstance. And it's sort of for the same reason, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, obviously, correct me if I'm wrong. It's like, if you think about it as just like, racism is out there, it's this like big amorphous thing that could get you at any moment. And that creates all of this like constant fear as opposed to thinking like, Okay, these are the ways that racist thoughts in other people's brains do produce real world impacts. Mm-hmm. And, like, I need to plan for those. Mm-hmm. And, like you said, you speak to your children about them. It's like, I need to know when and what we might encounter. It sounds to me like, let me know what you think, that it makes it easier for you to actually plan how to deal with the things you do need to deal with. Yes. And then have some emotional resources the rest of the time.
1: Yes, because to go back to the Parkland example, when you were coaching me on that, that fear. Was paralyzing for me. Mm. I was not home. I was in California. So I had traveled for a meeting the morning that it happened. And I was literally sitting in meetings with tears running down my face. Like I was a hot mess. And I was like, I please this. help. <laughs> please. <laughs> <I remember this. laughs> and you were like, listen, maybe you're going to cry. But this is the reality of the situation. And so I think having that specific example.
0: Mm-hmm. right i am
1: upset because this thing happened when i was not home and my children are you know this far away it just felt so real to me and i mm-hmm. couldn't do anything and so i need it to be something that i can think about rationally with clarity and then deal with because otherwise the fear is overwhelming mm-hmm. and i'll just sit around crying all the time
0: yeah and it's such a like balance right of that allowing and processing the emotion and not trying to rush yourself through it Yes, but then yes. like when you're ready, right? I don't I'm like, how many times can I say this? We're definitely not telling anyone how they should feel <laughs> no, <laughs> about no. current events or racism. Absolutely not. Else, right? Absolutely
1: not.
0: But it's always like, this is a tool if and when you're ready yes. or want to think differently, right? And yes. I think what I love about this conversation is I think you're illustrating like all the nuances of it. It's not like your only options are Either I believe racism exists, and every terrifying thought I have is true, or I have to believe nothing exists. There's no problem, and it's just bad vibes. Like those are not the only two options. right? There's like a whole spectrum of options in between. And again, like I obviously do not have this experience. In my experience of working through my thoughts about other isms, I mean, I think part of what thought work can help us do is sift through that, right? It's like, we all know that if we have a, like a filter for something, then we're just always seeing it right and right. like thought work right. is this tool that lets us it's not about saying okay I've decided not to leave anything is ever racist <laughs> right? Right. it's right. about
1: right. having discernment but if you think that racism is everywhere then everywhere you go you'll see racism mm-hmm. and that's it and that may be what you want to do that's fine totally. like yeah. that may be what it you want to do but yeah. it is not something that I want to do I've spent a lot of time around white people, and this sounds stupid, but I mean, those are my closest friends. Those are the people that I went to high school with, went to. Mm -hmm. I can't just think there's racism all the time, Mm -hmm. right? I just can't. So I want to be super clear that I'm not saying that racism doesn't exist. I'm not saying that things are happening right now that aren't just terrible. Those things are definitely happening. But you have some power in this. Mm -hmm. How you go through life, you have some power
0: yeah believing otherwise to believe that we have no power over our own experience right is like the most disempowering thing and it's so odd how sometimes that gets flipped as somehow being empowering exactly like believing everything you already think is somehow supposed to be empowering but it (laughs) usually doesn't (laughs) but it all depends right and that's why I love this conversation like if you're someone who like the thought racism is everywhere makes you feel the way you want to feel and show up the way you want to show up then like Uh totally keep that thought, right? It's all individual. Like for some people, anger produces, you know, results that they want. And then for some people, it doesn't. And for some people, like there's no right or wrong to it.
1: For me, if you put that thought in the model, racism is everywhere. Then it's basically like I put myself in a cage, Mm. right? So that's why I don't want that thought for me. I don't want that thought for my children. I want my children to be smart and I want them to be realistic and all that stuff. And I want them to be resilient But I also want them to not be in this box where they feel like there are limits on what they can do or what they can be because of racism. It's such a
0: great point because I think this is another thing that gets lost sometimes is like, it's not either or, it's and, right? It's like there are real impacts in the world of other people having these thoughts and having had them for centuries, right? Mm -hmm. And so there are those things out there. It's like some kind of structure where there are some rigid parts, but there's also play in the joints. Yes. Certain thoughts will allow you to find the maximum play in the joints that you can, right? And that Mm -hmm. actually might help you eventually shift some of those fixed parts. Right. Whereas some thoughts, if you just believe the whole thing's fixed, that goes back to our conversation about like, well, the world would never change if there
1: weren't some people who believed that you could do things that seemed like you couldn't do. I don't know. I mean, I think if it had just been me, I might have just stayed kind of a frantic, stressed out mess. Like I would have just been okay with that. Like that was okay, right? I was doing all right with that. I was doing all right with it. Like I'm pretty good time. at this. I've been practicing <laughs> it for a while, so right. But what I started to think was I want to be able to show my children how mm-hmm. they can live their lives in a way where they can feel better than I have been feeling. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I think you get with coaching. You get to feel better. There are times when you're going to feel bad and there are times where you get to feel good.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's so powerful, right? If we imagine if we could have a generation of children who did not internalize the inferiority messages, right? Like what would the world look like? And of course, like- that's impossible in the current time span. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's what coaching is about, right? Like, I love that. It's like you, I mean, I hope that you would have done it for yourself anyway, but I'm glad <laughs> your children were there to motivate you. <laughs> like, these are such powerful tools, I think, for children and for teenagers, and, right? Like, imagine what it would be like if instead of only discovering it in your 40s or whatever it is, right, mm-hmm. you like were hearing all along, like, oh, yeah, see how that movie or that person or that whatever just told you this thought, Yes, that's literally just a sentence in their mind that you do not have to put in your brain. Like, let's work on a much better thought to put in your brain instead.
1: Exactly. Yes. I think it's made me a much better mother.
0: Yeah. that's how the world changes, I think.
1: So right now, what is most front of mind for people is the incident in Minneapolis and the death of George Floyd. And so that's a circumstance, right, that absolutely happened. Mm -hmm. And if you weren't sure it happened, you know, a bunch of people recorded it so we could all see it. And yet somehow still there is a disagreement about why that happened. Right. So a lot of people like myself believe that it was racism, that that would not have happened if he had been white. There are people who don't believe that. And so to me, it doesn't invalidate in any way what happened. Mm -hmm. What happened is what happened. And we all saw it. But to be able to say that racism is what I'm thinking about it and not what everybody's thinking about it really helps me to understand people that I'm dealing with, mm. right? Because when you believe that what you think is true and it's reality and other people don't get it, you think one of you is insane.
0: And In a population that's told by society that you're wrong or crazy or stupid, it's like you think right. you're insane.
1: Right, right. And so to know that, you know, I believe this is racism and I have a number of reasons why I believe that, and I choose that thought and I'm going to keep it. I like that thought for me. I think it's the right one, but I also understand other people don't have it. And that allows me to be able to even just speak to them, Mm. you know, because before I would be so frustrated, I would just throw my hands up. Like I would slam my computer down. Like I can't, I'm not going to deal with anyone. And that's not helpful.
0: Yeah. And I think that's also, it's so important also to say, like, we all get to choose if we want to do that. Right. Yeah. Like it's not mandatory, but I will say like, I used to be much more of a cancel call culture kind of person <laughs> in my twenties. <laughs> you know, I've been a active in social justice since I was 15, women's rights and reproductive rights. And I've like had both experiences of being, and I'm not saying one's better than the other. They're just very different experiences. One of being sort of like, I'm not going to not only not be around, but not even engage with anyone who doesn't agree with my thoughts about politics and current events and women's rights and whatever it is, right? Like a very high kind of requirement for ideological compatibility. You know, it's like anybody who doesn't agree with exactly my position on abortion rights, I'm not even going to speak to because they're denying my humanity, right? And I think once I went through coach training, you know, which you've also been through, and once I started coaching people and just seeing like, everybody's living in a model, Right, with a thought that makes sense to them and then a feeling action result, and how effective it can be to coach someone when you're able to hold space and open their minds. Which, mm-hmm. again, like I get paid for it, and so should anybody who's doing it. <laughs> like, we don't <laughs> owe that to anyone, especially strangers in our DMs or whatever. <laughs> but, like, you can't shame someone into truly changing their thinking.
1: And that's true. And I also came to understand that a lot of times, no matter what you say, you're not going to change the person. Totally. So then understanding that it's a thought and it's something they're choosing and it's a sentence in their mind is also, for me at least, it gives me an ability to find peace because I'm no longer just banging my head against the wall, trying to make this change. Like Mm -hmm. I understand it's not going to happen. And it's not about me, by the way. Mm -hmm. It's not about me. It's not because they don't care about me as a human. It's not because they don't care about my children. They just have a different sentence in their mind that they're choosing. And it's not about me. Mm -hmm. And that allows me to take myself out of it. Mm Oh, that's so interesting. Like, what would you have made it mean about you before? I think that when I have thoughts like, this person just doesn't get it. And this person is denying what I know to be true. They don't care about me. And the one that has absolutely always killed me is they don't care about my children. Hmm. Right. So, you know, I have two daughters and a son and I'm raising them in this environment where I need to talk to them about how they are to behave around white people, the police, things like that. And that's something that every black parent has to do. And when I would meet people who would deny something like this was racism, I would immediately go to they don't care about me or my children. And that is like blindingly bad. Like at that point, I can't say anything. I can't do anything (laughs) like cancel culture. So yeah, so just being able to put some distance between me and that thought and whatever they think has really helped me for myself, not even for trying to change them, but just to help me for myself hmm
0: Yeah, it's such a good point, right? Some people are never going to change no matter what we do, right? This is something I talked about in, I did a little bonus podcast where I said like, you know, from my perspective, thought work is about like the world is often not as we want it. Now, how are mm-hmm. we going to try to show up in it, right? Like, right. and how can we increase our own emotional resilience for that? So I think what you're saying goes to that, right? It's not about saying like, okay, well, it's just an optional thought. So maybe I'm wrong that it was racism. Right? It's about right. saying like, no, I a hundred percent believe right that this murder happened because of racism.
1: But so if what I, can I do about it? That makes me feel like I did something that doesn't right. just make me feel like I'm spinning in rage and sadness and frustration all the time. You know, I have beliefs I'm never going to change too. So I understand people have beliefs. <laughs> I have some beliefs I'm never going to change. So tell us
0: more about that, because I'd be interested to hear, I mean, not in terms of the beliefs you're never going to (laughs) change, I mean, in terms of when you say, like, so here's what I can't change, what already happened, Mm -hmm. what some other people think, some people I might be able to shift them, some people I can't. Like, how do you redirect that energy?
1: I don't know who I heard it from sometime this week. It might have been Rachel Rogers, who said, you need to take action in your sphere of influence, right? So... To me, that means, okay. one thing that I can do fairly easily is donate to different causes that are dealing with these issues. Right. So that's something I can do fairly easily. Another thing is that as a black professional, and I think this is something a lot of people don't realize, I spend the vast majority of my time with white people. Mm -hmm. You know, I that's who I was in law school with. That's who I was in college with and that's who I work with. So I feel like there's a huge opportunity there. For the people who want to change or want to know more, right, who want to have genuine conversations Mm -hmm. and really try to move the needle, I think there's a huge opportunity for me to say I'm willing to Mm -hmm. do that, right? And so that's something that I've actually done twice this week. And if you had asked me two weeks ago, I would have been like, nope, (laughs) I'm not going to do it. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. even a little change, you know, just a little change. Yeah. So that's the type of opportunity I think I have. And then for me, avoiding the people I know will never change. It's just like a self-care issue. Like, I'm just not going to, you know, I'm not going to do it anymore. But I do think that for the people who either, like you in your podcast this week, when you said that people who've grown up in America need to understand that they have gotten all of these things, that their beliefs are formed by things they don't even know about, that they don't even consider, right? The media, teachings, things you heard, how you grew up, that there's racism in there. And you don't have to feel bad for it. You don't have to feel guilty. It's not your fault. But it's your fault if you don't now look at that, right? Those people who want to look at it, who want to change, who want to know what they can do, I think it's a little lazy. We have Google, so you can find (laughs) out on your own. But if you want to have that conversation, I'm up for having that conversation, Mm -hmm. you know? you can obviously correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like the difference that
0: I um, sometimes teach about, about like emotional resistance versus political resistance, right? And it's like, and I always just want to be so clear, but especially in this conversation, well, I can only speak for myself. I'm never saying like this is how you should handle it. I mean, a lot of the work that we do with the model, especially, I'm so unvisual, but it's like <laughs> I'm trying to think how to explain this. But it's like along any identity that you are marginalized along, right? Mm-hmm. You get some of this, and then it's compounded each of the ones on top of each other, right? But there's so much guilt and shame and inferiority and self-judgment and self-criticism, right? And so so much of this work is before we even get to how do we want to think about the
1: world, it's like, are we giving ourselves compassion? Right. So one thing that you and I were talking about is that when you grow up in, you know, a society like this one where racism is just such it's so permeates every aspect of society, that if you grow up white in that, you really grow up with white supremacy. Which is something that's really easy to accept because it feels pretty good, I assume, right? And it's not a hardship; it's fine. Well, you're even unconscious of it, right? I mean, that's right. You're not. It's not like like
0: you're like, oh, I'm in it and it feels good. You're just like,
1: as a white person, you're not educated about it. You don't even know it's happening, right? So that's what I meant. That it's fine. It doesn't feel much like anything. It feels Mm -hmm. like everything is fine. And when you're Black growing up in the same space, you're growing up with Black inferiority. And so Mm -hmm. you feel it all the time. You know, I was told this by my grandmother growing up that I needed to be careful of X, Y, Z, that this is how people were going to see me and things like that. Mm -hmm. So I knew it as a child. And I think that what talking about how I can help people at work understand things. One of the things that I found so interesting when I talk to like my white colleagues is that they don't realize that I pretty much know exactly what their life feels like because Mm -hmm. I have no choice but to, Mm -hmm. for me to be able to go to college, go to law school, get a job at a big firm. I've pretty much had to make myself very familiar Mm -hmm. with all of that, right? With how people talk, what they like, the things that they like to talk about and what they like to do. And so when I say to them, it's not like we're coming to this conversation and we're both going to try to understand each other. I feel like I have a pretty good understanding of you. I mean, maybe I don't know, you know, particular things about your family or your history, Mm -hmm. but in terms of your experience going to college, going to law school, I did those same exact things. The difference was that I was doing the same exact things you were doing and I'm doing the same exact things you're doing now, except I'm also fighting for my life, right? Mm -hmm. I'm also looking at all of this thinking, how is this going to affect me? How is this going to affect my kids? And so that has been a really interesting dynamic that I've experienced this week. When I tell people, Oh no, no, you don't have to explain to me how you feel. Just uh, let me give you the rundown. This is what I think you feel. And they're like, Oh yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're like, it's just the dominant narrative in every area of life. So yeah, I've encountered it before.
1: (laughs) Right. So then when I say to them, you know, I'm also homeschooling my children right now. I'm also stuck in the house. And I'm also feeling great sadness mm-hmm. about these things that are happening in our country and the process that are happening. And you know, when people want to say, what about the looters? <sighs> <laughs> so can you talk a little bit more
0: about that? Because I think, and I remember from coaching you and from, please, coaching any human ever, because we don't like negative emotions. <laughs> I'm wondering, <laughs> including myself you know, I think one of the kind of misconceptions of thought work, right, is that it's this kind of bypassing where we're like, being sad about racism would be low vibes, right? right. <laughs> like, And that's, I mean, there are some people teaching that bullshit, but that's obviously not what goes down around here. And that's not right. I think right. thought work is like a deeply radical practice. So I'm wondering if being someone who knows thought work has impacted like the emotional side of all this, right? It's like we talked about like the kind of mental side of like, what am I going to think about these people having these thoughts? How do you feel like it's impacted the emotional
1: side? So my generation, Generation X, I really feel like the Rodney King video is such a moment in time for us. Because for me, I remember thinking it was such a big deal because I don't really relate to like the civil rights movement. I understand Mm -hmm. that it happened and I've seen the videos and I know that they would release the dogs and the hoses and all that. I don't really relate to that. To me, Mm -hmm. the really impactful thing about race that was kind of a countrywide thing was the Rodney King video. And I remember watching that it was on TV every night for like a month. And I remember thinking like, it's going to be different now because they have a video like Mm -hmm. now everybody can see. And so I felt like we as a nation saw the same thing and we were all going to do the right thing, and we were going to fix this. And then, you know, they let those officers go to Simi Valley and get tried there, and they were acquitted. Mm -hmm. And so ever since then, there's just been, you know, these events, they flare up. It's like having a sports injury that flares up periodically. Something will happen, and if you're Black in America, you just can't put all your emotion and your hope and your sadness into every single event because you just wouldn't be able to function, Mm -hmm. but you still feel it. You know, you still feel it. And so for me before I would feel a rush to kind of get past the sadness and get past Mm -hmm. the anger. I want to suppress it, resist it, fight it, whatever. And one thing that coaching has really helped me with is being able to sit there and watch something like the video of Minneapolis and sit there and watch it and just let it, feel horrible. Mm-hmm. Let it be just impossibly bad that this happened. Let it be impossibly bad that all those people watched and just feel that heaviness and that sadness and that feeling of this is never going to change and know that that feeling is going to go away, mm-hmm. but that it's okay for me to watch that and want to feel bad
0: mm-hmm.
1: and to go ahead and feel bad and to be dreading that I have to then tell my children about this and that they're going to see the video. But also knowing that at some point, I can stop feeling bad. Like I can go ahead and do it, and feel it and just sit there in it for a while. And then I can move on to something else. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that the model really helps with that, because I can journal like what those thoughts are, I can sit down and I can say, like, why am I feeling? I mean, I feel bad that a man died, and I just watched, and we all just watched. But I also feel bad because I feel like it's never going to change, mm-hmm. right? I feel like it's never going to happen again. When I have those thoughts, I know that's what I need to work on mm-hmm. because those thoughts get me nowhere. But do uh-huh. I want to sit there and go, this is so sad that man died? Yes. I and don't that's need such to a beautiful
0: example, right? Of clean versus dirty pain,
1: mm-hmm. right? Which is something,
0: yeah. I don't actually know if I, have a, oh, I do have a podcast about it. What am I talking about? There's, <laughs> it's hard
1: there to are remember. so many. There's
0: a lot of them now. I know <laughs> every damn week. These people in like the podcasting groups are like, oh, season. I'm like, what's a season? Is that, oh, a, is that an option?
1: <laughs> no, you know, like they only do oh, it. Oh, that's sometimes. right. They only do it. Right. Yeah. No.
0: I'm like, no, no. Every week. every week. Anyway, I have a podcast episode called Clean versus Dirty Pain, but I think that's such a beautiful example, right? You're like, yes, I want to feel grief yeah. and outrage and sadness and anger, like whatever. Yes. But when I see that I feel hopeless. Right. And again, like, Anybody listening, if you want to feel hopeless, you are allowed. We're not saying you shouldn't, right? Right. But but it sounds like what you're saying, and I know for me also, is like that those feel very different, right? And like when you look at that thinking, you're like, oh, I do want to keep the thoughts that like this should not have happened and it is painful and tragic and all of the thoughts, but do I want to keep the thought nothing will ever change? There's no point in trying. No, No. maybe I don't want to keep that thought, right? I think like one of the ironies to me, I'm curious what you think about this, About the idea that like thought work and social justice should have nothing to do with each other is that I don't understand where people think change comes from because, right, right? like anybody who's ever been a visionary or a leader of a movement, that was the person who was able to see and like was brave enough to stand up and say, no, things can be different
1: than this. You mentioned that this week on your podcast, you said something like there's one thing where you're resisting what is, right? Where you're Mm -hmm. suffering because you're resisting what is. But then there's a difference when you say the world should be different and I can help change it, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're just at the world should be different, hard stop, that Mm. feels terrible. Like when that thought ends right there. Exactly. And you're just resisting and you're just fighting against it. And I think that I used to feel like, well, I'm not honoring this man if I don't feel sad. Mm -hmm. if I don't feel sad all the time. But no, I am acknowledging his life, acknowledging his death. I'm acknowledging that it was horrible what happened. But also, to really honor him to me is what can I do to make some change out of this, right? Mm -hmm. To make something come from this. So I think when you said, you know, go ahead and feel bad. But if you just stop there at nothing will change, then you're done. And you're not going to create anything from that. If you go to this should be different and I can help, then you feel, you know, hopeful. You feel motivated. You feel like there are steps I can take, which I guess for me is just a really important thing.
0: Yeah. And I feel like there's also, you know, exactly what you were saying earlier about how as a person of color and especially as a black person in society, you internalize all of these messages of inferiority. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you think about that?
1: For me, too, I had to do a lot of when you asked me to do this podcast, I had to do a lot of thought work around. <laughs> I was like, just say yes and then do the work. Like, just, just say yes. You were totally work. allowed to say no. I still would love you. No, 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 no. It's not that I wanted to say no. I wanted to say yes, but I immediately had all these thoughts about what if I don't say it right? Mm. What if I don't do it right? I mean, you know, my whole life, I've been told you talk like a white girl, you're not black enough. I Mm. mean, it's so great for people like me who are kind of walking that line in both worlds where you're not black enough Mm because you don't sound black enough. And so where do you get off speaking for black women? But you're definitely not white enough (laughs) in the white world. (laughs) So it's kind of like, who am I gonna be? But I just thought to myself okay, so maybe I get it wrong. But maybe somebody will think, oh, that makes a lot of sense or I want to know more about that or mm-hmm. that could really help me or that sounds like me and that would really be great. But yeah, I have the same doubts as everybody else. I'm not sitting here like, oh, I'm an authority and I'll just tell you how all the black people think and then we'll just do what we need them to do and then everything will be great. Like, I am definitely not that. Like, no one who's white is ever like, well, am I white enough? Right? Like, there's no, no, no. Like, no, no that's not no. a thing, right? <laughs> no. it's like- I've never heard anyone express that.
0: Right. Right. But isn't that so interesting, right? There's something about the, like, in that construct for a person of color, it's like, you can't do it right. All of those messages Mm -hmm. end up creating this situation where everybody feels like they're doing it wrong.
1: Right. And people talk about, you know, switching how they talk depending on what group they're in, but you really do fundamentally feel untethered. You know, it's not like I'm like, oh, I'm in this group. I really belong. Like you really never really belong anywhere. So in this type of work, like that's one of the things that I dealt with when you talk about feeling guilt and shame. I'm like, am I upset enough? Mm -hmm. Right. I didn't take my kids out and go protest when they had the protest in Miami or even Eastern Fort Lauderdale. I didn't go out and do that mainly because I am not trying to be around a group of people during COVID nineteen. <laughs> I do not understand really that part, <laughs> but I do have those thoughts. Like, am I feeling enough here? You know, and I'm just working on not judging myself for, you know, what I'm not doing, and just which is to like say, the most
0: radical thing, right? Because I'm coaching women who are like. Shaming themselves for being too upset, and then shaming themselves for not being upset enough, and then shaming—right? Like, there's always room for shame. I've there's always, always room for shame, right? Always room for shame. It's yeah, so yeah. true. Brooke and I just did our my teacher and I to do that retreat in Portugal, and then obviously because of COVID it got canceled. So then we turned it into an online thing. We just had the first meeting today, and at the end of everyone, we were like, "All right, so you will be working on shame." Okay, <laughs> well, you know, it's like everybody. Yeah, yeah. But it's like that's to me some of the most radical power of this work right is that like we have to create liberation inside right and in order to do anything on the outside and so much like human potential and energy is I don't mean wasted like we're doing something wrong I you know it's like we absorb these messages but it's just Mm -hmm. the self-guilt and shame of like the I'm not doing this right I'm not doing that right I'm not good enough I should be more grateful or I should be more upset or I should be whatever like exactly it's like the more marginalized
1: identities you have, it seems like the more ways there are for you to tell yourself you're doing it wrong. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> well, and part of what felt revolutionary to me when I was learning all this stuff and Unfuck your brain was that shame was not helpful, right? Mm-hmm. That shame was not a motivator. And also learning to identify it because mm-hmm. I didn't call what I was feeling shame. Mm-hmm. Like, I just thought like, no, you're not doing it right. Right. You're like, this is just fact that I'm communicating to you. Right. Like I'm not doing it right Mm -hmm. and I'm not upset enough. And so learning that like, no, that's just a thought and you're causing shame and shame is not going to help you. So now I actively look for those thoughts Mm -hmm. because I realize that if I'm sitting in shame, I'm going to be highly ineffective. And so I don't want to do that.
0: Oh, that's a good point. We need like a shame detector. It's like, if there's anything in your life, it's like we need like a divining rod or like a metal detector for shame. It's like if there's anything in your life. Yeah, if there's any, like a scan. If there's anything in your life that is not going the way you want, we got to look for the shame. got to look for the shame so that you can move through it. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. (laughs) Is there anything else you want to say that I didn't get to or?
1: I think that for people who are wondering what they can do, I just hear so many people saying, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't want to say the wrong thing. And I totally understand that. You know, I think that those people should know that there are Black people having those same exact thoughts. And also, by the way, Black people have had those thoughts the entire time you've worked with them, (laughs) the entire time you've known them. So (laughs) we've had those thoughts the whole time. But one thing that I will say has worked for me as a lawyer (laughs) is just preparing, right? It's like preparing Mm. for a hearing. Mm -hmm. Just educate yourself, read up you know watch some videos look at some speeches see what's going on in the world and you will start to feel empowered to speak on what's going on in the world mm-hmm. i think that part of this i don't know what to say is coming from you not doing the work because mm-hmm. there's a lot out there
0: there's one other thing i wanted to ask you about if you don't mind no problem. so this came up a lot in the coaching so yesterday i did a free coaching call for just my community in general, right, where I coached only black women. And a lot of what came up for people was sort of a feeling of hopelessness, right, that like nothing was ever really going to change. You talk about sort of being like, well, this flares up, it goes away. I can't get sort of engulfed by it every time. I'm just curious, like, how do you think about that part of it? Like, that sort of feeling of hopelessness? And do you think thought work has any role to play with that? Like, how do you think about the, like, connect or disconnect between this has happened before and things haven't really changed. And also like, I know how I think about things is gonna impact how I show up, which will impact what happens in the world. Like, how do you put those together or not?
1: So I think that when we have a period in this country, like we've had the past few weeks, you know, where it started with Ahmad Arbery, I think that was the first thing that really started this latest wave, if you will, of attention. And then it continued with Graham Taylor, the one in Louisville, mm-hmm. and obviously ending with George Floyd, which has just gathered so much attention and galvanized so many people. I feel like when those things happen at first, you see them, you see the videos, it does feel very hopeless. So you do have those thoughts, this is never going to change. This always happens. It's never." But I think that where the model is helpful is that the model for me is about clarity. So when you have those thoughts, this is never going to change. And this is just going to keep happening. And you feel hopeless, you're able to see it. Because I think that before thought work, I would just feel hopeless. Mm -hmm. And that would be it. Like, I'm just feeling hopeless. And then eventually, it would go away from time, like it would just, you know, but now I can see that I can actually say, like, I'm feeling hopeless, and put it in the model Mm -hmm. and figure out why. And then I can decide whether or not I want to keep that thought. The thought this is never going to change doesn't serve me. Mm-hmm. Right. And even if in the moment, you know, you want to feel sad and all that, but at some point you have to go, what is the thought that's going to serve me? Mm-hmm. And maybe it's, this keeps happening, but I can make a difference, mm-hmm. which is why I've been trying to speak up more and be more vocal about things. I do still want to be angry. I do want to be outraged because I think that those situations are outrageous. But at the same time, I can look at the murder and be outraged, but look at the resulting social movement and feel hopeful. Mm. Right. And so I think you can have both, but they are Mm -hmm. two separate models. And I think that being able to separate them because before I couldn't do that, before it was just like all jumbled in here, like what's going on? And gesturing
0: to her head since people can't
1: sorry. Yes. all <laughs> jumbled up in her head. <laughs> it was all jumbled in my head, and I couldn't keep track of what was going on in there. But now I feel like the model really helps with clarity. It's my number one clarity tool,
0: yeah, I love that. so good. Thank you for joining us, Erica, for being my student and teaching me. My pleasure.